Hello, everybody, and welcome to Author Not Present, your virtual writing workshop. So it has been a while. Uh, We wanted to record a long, long time ago, but that didn't happen because of the site going down, the mirrorline.org going down, and then COVID getting worse, and then uh, it's just been a complete disaster. But we're back now to do another episode, and I'm here with Louise Hare. Hello, Louise. Hello. Hello, and I'm here with Christina Kerr. Hi. Hi. And when I say here, I mean, we're not together. Obviously, we're in a Zoom meeting. I'm in South London. Christina, where are you again? You're in North London. I'm in North London, yeah. And Louise, you're in? A different part of South London. A different part. (laughs) You're not in the same building as me. No, I've just moved. So I'm in a brand new room covered in boxes and books I have too many books I've we really do have too many books oh no my God. no you don't we do we have too no, many there's no such thing we we literally don't have the shelf space to put all the books I have bags of books just sitting in my <laughs> office now it's ridiculous um anyway it's good to see you both and I'm glad we're doing this again because we've had lots of uh, submissions that we're gonna have to work our way through with some more episodes and these episodes have become strangely popular <laughs> not strangely they're really good why am I <laughs> saying strangely but they've become really uh popular which has been very very exciting and I'm really excited to see what we can keep doing with this uh yeah especially with the updated mirroronline.org if you're listening to this go to mirroronline.org and see the brand new beautiful site that actually makes sense now and wasn't designed by me who didn't know how to do anything um <laughs> uh so it's all updated and very pretty now um still some bugs and tweaks we need to work out and some design issues but it's it's better than it, than it was yeah so louise how are you doing how how is life tell us um life is repetitive <laughs> really glad to have this in my calendar so I knew what day it was <laughs> yes so I'm doing author not present which means it's Friday that's sort of you know rather than most days I'm sort of get to midday and then is it Tuesday is it Thursday? <laughs> oh I don't know, it's Monday how how did this happen yeah so um yeah very much looking forward to at some point getting out of lockdown yeah yeah so we did have some good news though your your paperback came out was that last Friday right no Thursday last Thursday uh yeah so available now and um, unfortunately bookshops are still closed um, it is available if you'd like to pick up a physical copy uh tesco have it go tesco. go tesco um online usual places or your indie bookshop i think most indie bookshops are still doing some kind of deliveries or click and collect so do check with your local bookshop oh nice can you get it from uh, bookshop.org of course yeah and actually, if you're interested, I've just set up, because um, you can set up like your own little shop on there. So I just sort of set my own one up just with some um, some of the books that inspired uh, this lovely city. So if you're interested in reading more about like Windrush or that kind of thing, um, 50s literature, then uh, go and check that out. Oh, that's very cool. Can anyone do that? Or is that just authors that can do that? I think anyone can just go and do it. So there's like book bloggers on there. So you can just do like little booklets, like your mm. favorite reads or like, um, so the plan is that I'll update it with sort of my, the books that I'm enjoying reading like throughout the year. That's sort of the plan. That's very cool. That's a really yeah. cool thing. Better than Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so much better than Amazon. Oh, that's really, really cool. Um, so people go to bookshop.org slash Louise Hare. Is that how they find it? Oh, we'll put it in the show notes anyway, so they can well, find you it. Can search at the top and put my name in and it yeah. will. Cool. Oh, that's very, very cool. So did you do anything special for your book launch? Did you do, was there a, a Zoom party or anything? Or 
I had a little Zoom with my publisher. So oh. it was yeah, it was nice to see everyone's face at least. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then I just drank a bottle of wine to myself and watched. <laughs> <laughs> oh no for your next book which is finished yes yeah, it will be out next february next february okay i mean if we're if we're not out of lockdown i feel like i'll be dead anyway so <laughs> <laughs> oh man we're definitely like owed one though because your first launch was literally just before we locked down and so that was supposed to happen. And we're owed a party, basically. I'm yeah. going to have a long party, I think, for book two. But yeah. it's never ending. Your, your, yeah, your last one was literally like the Friday before, wasn't it? Was it yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it's supposed to be on the Thursday. And then the Wednesday night, my launch got cancelled. So... Oh God! Yeah. Okay. So next next time we'll have a huge blowout, massive party for your next one, and we'll just. But that's great news. Congratulations on also finishing your next one. And is it now with editors? And yeah, it's going to the copy editor as we speak. So yeah. Ah, fantastic. How many massive errors that I've got to sort? <laughs> awesome. I've read bits of it, not all of it, um, but it's great. I really enjoyed it. And Christina, you actually have some news. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. What happened in the interim? Well, I started a master's and I got an agent. So hey, congratulations. Yay, things are happening. Yeah, it was very exciting. I signed with Kate Evans at Peter Spraser and Dunlop. And we've been just trying to work on the book that she signed me on, uh, which I've sort of ended up parking and <laughs> writing another book. Instead, it's been a, it's been a journey, basically. Yeah. But um but yeah, so very exciting. What led you to parking the other book? What 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 caused that? Um, you know, I think when I I obviously when you write your first book, you know, you kind of you're putting years of thought and you know, not quite knowing what you're doing in order to get to the end of it, I think. And it was literally the first book I'd ever completed. So I hadn't had any other sort of practice goes at writing a whole novel. Um, so whilst I like it very much, a lot had changed in terms of how I write and what I wanted to write about by the time I finished it, you know. So once I'd signed, I guess we sort of started talking about the book and what it needed to be and what needed to change and what I was going to rewrite. And as I kind of got into it, I sort of just felt, well, you know, this is great, but actually this isn't really what I want to be talking about right now. It's not really what I want to be writing about right now. And I don't know if it's really like the first thing I want to say about myself into the world as a writer. Mm. So, you know, that was obviously like really difficult to actually go through that process and think about it that way. But um, ultimately, you know, I want to have a hopefully long career as a writer. So the first thing that I want to introduce myself with is probably not that particular book. I think with a bit of time and space, I will look back on that book and know exactly what to do with it. But right now there's something else that sort of pressing um on my mind and so we've kind of possibly we're going to maybe put that into the world first we'll see um but I haven't finished it so <laughs> basically it's it's been a long journey of like you know you finish your book you finally get an agent and then you're like wait hang on I need to like rethink this and think more broadly about what I'm actually doing yeah. um, I just think it's fascinating because I think a lot of people including myself believe that when you signed when you sign with an agent and a book that is the book you're going to publish there is no sort of leeway that's it yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting to hear that you were able to sort of say, actually, I'm not going to do this one. Can we do this one instead? 
Yeah, no. I mean, I definitely think, you know, if it, if it, well, if I just said, yeah, okay, I'm going to stick with that book, it, you know, my agent would have been so, super supportive of that. And that's obviously the book she signed me on. So she likes it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just felt personally like it wasn't what I wanted to put out first. And so, yeah, we'll see. Maybe this second book will end up being another roadblock. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think this is much more on target for what I want to be doing. So, um, here's hoping. Here's hoping. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just think, yeah, I think it sort of proves the point that the agents are not really buying the book. They're buying you, the author. At totally. Maybe. maybe not all agents. Actually, it's not so true. Let's not, let's not tar every agent with that brush, but maybe that it's, um, that that's what they're trying to do. Um, Louise, with your agent, did you have like a similar experience? No, because you just had your book ready to go, not ready to go, but you worked with your agent for that specific book. There was no other book or was there? So, there was another book, wasn't there? So, yeah, well, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a book, so my first book, and I sent it out to, God, I think by the end, I mean, this was like a two-year process, but by the end, and there were many edits, I think probably 50 agents, almost every agent in London, um, this book. And so my current agent is one of the agents who rejected it, but actually gave me really good feedback. And so when I started my, the book that is now published, um, she was a judge on the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize. So I was like, okay, I just have this really nice rejection of her. I'm just gonna try and keep in her mind kind of thing. So I'd only got a few chapters of this book written and I just, because of the Lucy Cavendish, you don't need to have finished the book. I just thought, let's just pay my 20 quid or whatever it was, throw it in there. Um, and nobody was more surprised than me when it actually got shortlisted. <laughs> I mean, it was not finished. Um, and she signed me off that. So, um, but I think having had the first novel, she took a risk signing me before the first draft was finished because she was like, I know you can complete a novel, which I think is one of the big blocks, sort of stumbling blocks that writers have is, you know, actually being able to finish a project. Um, so yeah, so we, we worked on that, that book together. Um, but yeah, kind of two books. To get, <laughs> to get into that sort of space. So the first book, will that ever see the light of day or is that sort of parked? It's parked, but I do keep thinking about it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's because it's, it's kind of historical, so it kind of fits with what I'm still writing. I mean, definitely that book, if I, when, I, when I think about it now, you know, it's the writing isn't that great. <laughs> mm. but, you know, because I've done a master's since, I've learned a lot of stuff. I've written a lot more stuff and tried different things out, which I think is important. Um, but I do think, like, because now I'm thinking, oh, because it's historical. I'm like, what if I made it fantasy? The current thing is maybe it would work if I took the same characters but just rejigged the plot and like ripped the part the plot apart completely and did some kind of fantasy plot because hmm. it's kind of like Victorian, you know, lend itself to sort of maybe a steampunk kind of thing. So it, these are ideas I've not actually sat down and um, sort of properly thought about anything that's exciting I've, I did say to you I think in one of our critique groups that I think you should write fantasy I think you have yeah. there's an element to it there's an element to your writing that's just sort of has that nice sorry Terry Pratchett-esque quality to it that sort of yeah that could be fantastic could be fantastical I, I would like to read it I'd definitely read something like that I think that'd be great 
So yeah, since um since we last spoke, you got an agent, Christina. I have not got an agent. That did not happen for me, unfortunately, at, at this point. Yeah, but I'm fine with that. I was a bit sad and it was a bit gutting, but um, but I I again, like you said, um, Louise, you said that you got lots of great feedback, and I did get lots of great feedback for my novel as well. Um, but um, a lot of it was I don't know how to sell this book. <laughs> mm. So that that was the biggest piece of feedback I got for most agents was I just don't know how to sell this book right now or who I would sell it to, um, which is quite uh, a thing really because it just made me rethink about my own writing. Um, yeah. But it, Chris, can mm, I ask on. you, Peter? Do do mm. you think then that you like? I mean, obviously you believe in that book and it's an excellent book. Mm. Um, do you think you'll change your approach given that feedback? Are you going to try to approach publishers more directly? What, what's your view on that? With the is the agent still the goal? I, I at the moment I'm waiting to hear back back from a lot of indie publishers um, to right. see if they well indie publishers they're just publishers. I mean they publish better <laughs> books than most agents they're the most big publishers these days. But um, I'm waiting back for a lot of indie publishers and um, a couple of prizes just to see if I place any of them or anything like that. Um, as the, with the book as it is and if that doesn't happen then I will I think I will attempt to rewrite the book in with the feedback the best feedback that I got um which was basically just to add more characters and more voices which is a bit of a shame for the book but I think it's yeah but uh I it just it's that feeling of just this book is yeah it's that feeling of just whether I want this book to be the as you said Christina this this book to be the one that it is me going forward. This is presenting myself to the world as a writer, um, whether uh, I do actually want to make those changes and I do want to be a bit more commercial as it were. Mm. And a bit well, more I think readable. That's such a tricky I... question though, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? I mean, and there's sort of the commercial thing. I don't know. I, I don't know. Cause obviously we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the feedback that you've got um, and, you know, listeners are not privy, privy to that, but <laughs> Um, you know, I had similar a similar issue in the sense that, you know, I had agents look at my book and some of them say, well, I thought this was going to be more commercial than it is. And then others look at the exact same thing and say, well, could it be more literary? Because it's a bit too commercial. And I think <laughs> I think that is like part of the course, right? Agents all going to have their take on where it should sit in the market mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. And I think that's really such a difficult thing when you're just querying from nowhere or you're just first introducing yourself to an agent is is how you are able to sell your work to them such yeah. that they can sell it if that makes sense and I think that's really tricky um, regardless of what your project is you know explaining yeah. it to them in a way that makes sense that they can then sell it's hard yeah. <laughs> um, but Louise, you shouldn't compromise your book right no no Louise when you when with this, with this lovely city obviously your, the, your agent sort of picked it up before it was even finished and just was confident in that. So she had an idea that she could sell it and it was, it was, it was sellable. Um, yeah. But when you went, when you were pitching it to editors and things like that, um, how did you market it? What did you market it as? How did you sort of approach the editors? Um, I mean, that's something your agent does for you. Right. I saw a copy of it after it had gone out of <laughs> what she did, but um, mine was slightly different in that because obviously it's set in Wimbush era, South London. Mm. We were out a few months after the Wimbush scandal had hit the front pages. So the pitch was very much, this is in the papers at the moment. You know, obviously this is historical, but it's relevant to now. So we were going with that angle. So I think, you know, with your book, 
I mean, an agent at the end of the day, their main job is, you know, you know, the main purpose for you is to, to sell you. You know, they are business people. Mm. So whenever they're reading a manuscript, it's not all, it's, you know, obviously they have to love it, but it is always, you know, who's going to buy this off me? And I think that's, you know, that's why it's so important to research when you're looking for agents as well, because, you know, if you're just going through the writer's analysis and just, you know, going to A to Z, that's not going to work because you need to find people that are representing people whose writing is sort of similar to yours or that you enjoy and that you think is in the same sort of ballpark because otherwise they're just not going to engage with it, I don't think. And they're not going to know, they're not going to have those contacts because obviously your agent um, will be thinking, okay, who do I know who will love this book you know, in a publishing house? So if they don't have those contacts, they're just going to be like, well, I don't know anybody. It's, it's, it's complicated. It's very complicated. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it's like, I, I treat it like you're going for a job interview. You're not just going to apply for, well, I mean, maybe you will, but. You know. <laughs> In this climate, I think you have to just apply for every job. <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking like when I came out of when I was finishing university and I was applying for like graduate jobs, um, like the, the process of, you know, was, I was spending hours every day going through what was out there, what, you know, what they were looking for, whether I actually thought I could do that job for 30 years. Um, you know, it's that kind of process. And I think it's as important as writing the book is to, you know, while you're, even when you're writing, maybe, to, to sort of think about these things, go to events, um, you know, just get involved in the literary world and so that you know, you know, what, what people are looking for and, and who the right people are. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning too that obviously, you know, that that burdens on you initially once you want to start putting yourself out there, you know, and you you need to know who you're targeting in a sense. But once if you do start to get interest, I think the power dynamic shifts slightly at that point, right? And um, you know, in my case, I had quite a few offers of representation. So I had the opportunity then to actually turn that around slightly and and be the job interviewer, so to speak, you know, because ultimately agents as you just said Louise you know they're, they're going to be thinking about how they're going to sell it they've got an image in mind of what that looks like possibly um or if they don't you know that's something you should probably tease out because I think a lot of agents as well will kind of be like you know at various levels of thinking ahead and equally you need to benefit from that relationship too so sitting there having some questions in mind and sort of doing the interview back if you get to that stage is also equally important so that you know how they're going to present your book into the world and what that might look like. It may change, obviously, but, you know, it's really good to ask them, you know, who do you think would buy this book or what do you think this book is? How do you see it? You know, the opportunity is there as well. It's not It's not just one way. It is a business partnership in the end. And also I think don't always take the easy option. Like I have totally. A story of you know someone who did have that option to sort of interview a few different agents and um they kind of went with the one who sort of said oh I don't think you need to make any changes because they're like oh yeah I totally get it I totally get it I'm just going to go with them that book never sold and then they were kind of like maybe I should have gone with the agent who said actually I think we can make it better um but it's going to mean you doing this this and this and it you know I guess what you have to weigh up is with the edits that they're suggesting, do they feel completely alien to you? Or do you listen? And do you properly take it away, think about it for a few days and think, actually, that makes complete sense. That would make a better book. It's that kind of 
is weighing up and I think it's hard. I think people just sometimes grasp for the first opportunity or the easiest opportunity. And actually, you know, you do have to think about it as a career and, um, you know, and it's very brave to put a book aside. It's very brave to take on bigger edits, but sometimes that might be how you go because getting an agent isn't getting published. Mm. Next stressful stage of knowing that different editors are reading your book and maybe just going, (laughs) or maybe... (laughs) oh my god I want this how do we get it you know you just don't know that's like the next thing which I know that I hadn't really thought about till I actually got an agent and then I was like oh actually yeah I've just still got this huge massive hurdle to get over Mm, very true (laughs) (laughs) sorry Peter was that (laughs) no I yeah I it's it's just so weird I think because the last time we recorded I think I was so full of hope and optimism and then that got destroyed not destroyed i'm i'm okay guys i'm okay it, 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 the the um but it it brought me back down to reality quite hard and now i'm sort of and then I, i've taken a break from writing for quite a while and i'm sort of starting to get back into it now i'm writing daily again which is great um and then trying to sort of build myself back up to that sort of like excitement that i had for it but um you just had a yeah. piece published too. I did. I did. I have a piece published in Opia Lit Mag, O-P-I-A Lit Mag. Go buy it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can read my story amongst other things. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I think, yeah, it was just, an, it was just a very odd rejection period mm. because I wasn't, I was being rejected, but also being told that they love the book. And it was just, it, that was such a difficult thing. And lots of them said, oh, send me the next thing that you write which is like, no, I don't have a next thing. And this is the thing you have to take this book. Yeah. But it's, a, I know, I, yeah, but it's just, that it is that feeling exactly as you said, Louise, of, of that desire to just take the easy option and for just things to go smoothly, not to be a bumpy, horrible mess, um, which is, yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's so interesting as well, because Christina, as you said, like what's happened to you in the sense that you had this book, you went to an agent and that's not the book that's going to be published. And now you have to write an entirely other book. <laughs> we have another friend who just, who, who's, who had exact same problem, didn't he? He's, his book. It's yeah. Not, mm. Yeah. Right. It, you know, going through, I think in his case, it was going through that whole process of editing, you know, and working on it and refining it with the agent and then finding that it still wasn't where it needed to be, or there was still something unresolved. And I just think that's, yeah. I think to Louise's point, you know, you, you kind of, when you're just starting out as a writer, you're like the agent, the agent, the agent, the agent, that's all I need to do. And once I've got the agent, like I'm in, and that's so not the truth. <laughs> like it's just the the next rung and then like 10 more rungs kind of open up that you need to like get past as well. And it's, yeah, it's a process. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's just that thing of like, if you're looking to get rich quick or whatever this is not the biz for you like if you're looking to kind of like do things simply and quickly like there are other simple simpler and easier things that one might pursue that is not writing a novel mm. like what can, can you <laughs> like well Wait, let us know i don't know <laughs> <laughs> can you oh if anybody knows if any of our listeners know what the simple and easy thing that can get you to the next level is please uh <laughs> please write in to uh, authornotpresident at gmail.com <laughs> Um, right, I think we better get started with the critique of today's piece, which is called, I have forgotten, what's it called? It's the Entertainer. Called the entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to close a window and I couldn't be bothered. Uh, the Entertainer, yes, The Entertainer by an anonymous author, always will be anonymous. Um, let's get started with our critique. 
Right, welcome back everybody. We are now going to begin our critique of The Entertainer by an anonymous author. Um, so this, this story is about a, a woman on a train, we believe it's a woman, uh, she's heading from Gatwick to Brighton and on the train she is accosted or entertained or uh, approached by an old man who starts telling her boomer jokes as, as, the, uh, as the piece <laughs> explains, <laughs> these boomer style jokes. Um, uh, and during this process she sort of becomes ingratiated with him and then towards the end of the novel, uh, at the end of the short piece, sorry, we're, we're confronted with this idea that the entertainer has told some sort of horrible, offensive joke and the whole train has turned against him. And maybe she is trying to protect him for some reason, although that's not particularly clear, but we'll get to that in a bit. So the first thing I'd like to talk, I would like to talk about is the setup of the novel, of uh, the, the short story. I really enjoyed the setup. I thought it was a really, really interesting setup to a piece. And I think it comes, uh, you'll be able to read this by the way, on by going to Author Not Present uh, and having a look for this episode and look, you can download the original version of this piece. But on page, I think it is uh, two, at the end of page two, we, under, we get this idea that what's happening in the novel, in the short story is that the narrator is going to be told jokes that she somehow becomes less offended by or more interested in, and then she connects it to her family, her past. But unfortunately, this doesn't go all the way through the novel. Um, uh, sorry, the short story. Why do I keep calling it novel? Uh, it doesn't go all the way through. And this setup that is very an, an interesting idea maybe doesn't pay off as well. What do you guys think? Louise, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think when I first started reading it, um, what attracts me to this piece is that, you know, for most of us, it's such a familiar scenario mm. that you're getting on the train and, you know, we've all, um, maybe more as a woman, have that guy that just wants to talk to you and just you kind of don't know what to do about it. You're like, should I talk? But then will, will he never leave me alone? Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I was quite fascinated to see, you know, where, where that was going to go, essentially. And um, I've got the train from London to Brighton before, so I'm like, yeah, I know this, I know this sort of setup. Um, so it felt um, familiar, but also, I guess I was sort of, you know, wanting um, something different to what I've experienced. Mm. Yeah, Christina, what do you think about the setup? Yeah, I agree. It's very relatable, definitely, as a woman. And I, I think for me, one thing that really stood out was that I did actually find the entertainer the, himself quite endearing I think that's you know down to the dialogue between them um some of it is yeah just very very uh just charmingly kind of you know that sort of bumbling character on a train and you kind of you feel the awkwardness and the cringiness of it but also you kind of you want to sort of forgive them and you want to be kind to them and uh, I mean, this is all very pre-COVID as well. So for me, it felt a little nostalgic yeah. <laughs> to think of being approached on a, on a train. Uh, that was quite nice. So I appreciated the story on that level. Oh, my God. I'm sure everyone's experienced the moment, but you watch an old TV show. Oh, and yeah. they're all hugging and touching and you're like, yeah. don't do that. That's that's bad. Don't do that. It's such a weird feeling to watch. Oh, my God. Those were the days. <laughs> what has it done to us? That's insane. But you're right. Yeah, I think, yeah. Obviously, I'm, I'm not a woman, but I, I know this feeling too of, of old men coming up to you and start talking to you. And you're just like, do what do I do in this situation? How do I do it? But I also really like the idea of him telling jokes. And it really did feel like the, the, the author was going to keep telling these same jokes and we were going to get sort of deeper in with just these two characters through these jokes but that's not really what happens and I was a bit disappointed by that 
And I think that there's an opportunity missed here maybe um, to sort of have, to have a more contained story, but to focus just on that sort of, what do you call it? Uh, that um, motif maybe of these jokes that are not landing and then maybe they'd start to land and then maybe those jokes can become gateways into the past or of, of both their past. But instead we get something quite different, um, which I didn't really enjoy. Any, what, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I would agree with that because it, it does take kind of sort of a sinister turn. Mm. Reason just everything suddenly escalates. And I, the problem with that, you know, I mean, it could work, but there needs to be more before that happened. It's just everything went from zero to 100. And, you know, there's all of a sudden there's like a massive fight kicking on. And you're like, nobody's actually done anything to warrant this level of violence. Mm. Um, so it just kind of, almost felt like it came out of nowhere. Um, whereas I, I much preferred the earlier part of the piece, which is just quite gentle and you're just sort of going through and trying to work out and quite enjoying, you know, delving into the narrator's past and seeing, you know, cause I think again, you know, with, with this situation that is relatable, you know, we do look at older people and we sort of equate them to our parents or our grandparents. And I, I really felt a connection with that part of the piece, which I, which I sort of lost later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there's something here that's trying to make a sort of generational commentary, but I'm not sure what that commentary really is by the end. And I think that is because, as you say, Louise, it does escalate so quickly, but also there's something kind of um, comedic about the ending because essentially they get pummeled by fruit and veg <laughs> on the train. And that felt for me like not really a very realistic uh because it does sort of take a dark turn. And I think if you're going to escalate in that way, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of undercut that escalation with this like comedic image. That sort of confused me basically. And I then wasn't sure what, what the piece was actually trying to tell me, if that mm. makes sense. Uh, you know, I do think that the best short stories are the ones that suggest like a wider world or wider story beyond the characters that you see within that sort of concise word limit. I think those make for the most successful short stories. And for me, I wasn't sure what more I was meant to take away or understand or, or continue to question given this particular ending. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think, yeah, I think you've nailed it on the head there in the sense that what is interesting is the intergenerational sort of connection that, that, that the entertainer is trying to make with the, the narrator. And I think that's the thing that could be explored a lot more and be a lot mm -hmm. more interesting. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Louise, you had a point about the description in the in the piece. Yeah, um, so my, my, there's some lovely description in there, but there's also a few descriptions that I found confusing or contradictory. So if I go from page one, so I'll give you I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Um, so right from the very first paragraph. Um, We've got the line, London collapsed into itself as the carriages hurtled as one, first out of the city's peripheries, then on a fine iron thread toward Gatwick. You read that, you know, oh, beautiful. I can, you know, you picture the, the train track. But then later on, on the same page, when so we first meet the entertainer, um, we've got one, a, lot, um, a few sentences. Says, the seat I had picked was one of a pair. Nobody could face me, and yet he did. <laughs> so I spent ages trying to figure out. <laughs> I'm like, what? 
what is what is the configuration of the seat? You know, I maybe I'm thinking too practically, <laughs> but it really I and mean, what you don't want on your first page is to stop the reader in their tracks because they're trying to figure out, you know, how your characters are sitting. And so I felt like, you know, just say he sat down opposite you. Like we don't need the rest of it. Mm. And also I still don't understand how they were sitting. And, and <laughs> because other people come in later again, you know, I was still trying to picture how this carriage was laid out all the way through the piece. And it was just a bit of a distraction. Um, so I think it just needed to be explained a little bit better. Um, and maybe a little bit less sort of, I don't know. It, it was almost, yeah, it was almost supposed to be like it's mystical. He somehow, you know, he's defied physics. I wasn't sure if it was trying to be like he's some mystical character or or what. I was, I was sort of a bit lost um, immediately. Mm. Mm. I think that's very apparent, particularly when the other people come in. I think that for me really did confuse the, the layout because we don't really, they just sort of appear in the carriage. So I didn't sort of see them come in, if that makes sense. And it wasn't quite clear to me you know, how they were sitting or where they were sitting such that they were hearing each other or um, any of that sort of very mundane details, but it do they do take away from what you're actually supposed to understand of the characters, I think. Mm. I think there's a really interesting line on page two. Um, the, uh, this is this writing about the entertainer. Leaning back, eyes fixed still upon me, a hand massaged his cheeks. Not his hand massage, a hand massaged his cheeks. Mm. So just imagine this disembodied hand coming and just started stroking his cheeks. And it's things like this where I think the author is trying maybe a bit too hard to be maybe a bit literary. Mm. Um, and what happens is the, the, the prose overrides the meaning and then you just get nothing or you get such weird ideas or weird images that it detracts from the story, like you said, Louise and yeah, Christina. Um, it, we just don't need, sometimes simple is actually best because what you're trying to do is tell a story. You're not trying to sort of, I'm not saying this is what the author's doing, but to show how inventive you can be with lang language, I think, yeah. Yeah, because there, there are some there are some odd images that sort of formed in my head, but also, um, but of the way things are laid out on the page, a lot of the entertainer's dialogue, um, the start of a sentence is in lowercase, mm. but it's not all the way through. And I was like, why? There were just, I don't know, there was, there's sometimes where you don't, there are rules for a reason. And it's, you know, you start a, <laughs> you start a sentence with a capital letter, um, unless there's a really good reason why you're not. And I, I just didn't feel that there was a good enough reason to have his dialogue be, different but also not consistently different yeah mm. definitely also to do a dialogue as well why most of her dialogue is not reported speech it's just sort of no what's the what is it <laughs> where it's not direct. in quotation direct speech yeah hers mm -hmm. is re hers is reported his is direct and i just i don't i didn't in, yeah i think it just pick one style and go with it unless again unless there's a good reason and i don't think the reason itself was coming through enough I think you had a point about dialogue as well, Christina, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it connects sort of to the wider voice of the story for me. But, you know, there's obviously a difference, right, between, you know, the voice that narrates the story and the voice speaking the story within, like, you know, in the actual scene. Um, 
so for me, there was a bit of a confusion between that. And I definitely get your point about the sort of um, director reported speech. You know, there were some really strange turns of phrase to, to achieve that. So things like affirming that I knew the story or I answered negatory that, you know, it's things like that, which, you know, it, it would just be simpler to say, I said no, mm. or, you know, I didn't um, something like that, if that makes sense, because I think that me meant that I wasn't quite sure, you know, what the, well, I mean, this is a separate point about the, about the voice, but they collapsed together in a way for me where I couldn't quite differentiate from um, when this story is being told and whether or not we're really in scene seeing that story come to life. And I think part of that is the, is the reported speech thing. Mm. Um, and there are quite a few repetitions too. And of course that's part of it, you know, that this older man is gonna keep repeating himself and saying, I'm the entertainer, I'm the entertainer. But I just, I think the danger with doing that is that we don't get depth, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's a risk that you take by kind of literally repeating dialogue over and over. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah. Where we don't. Yeah, exactly. That's a really, really good point where we don't get uh, any further details of the entertainer. So we're sort of stuck on this. Not vacuous, because I think he, there is a character there. And there's an interesting character, but um, it, it doesn't become any deeper. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's very, very true. But you did say something about uh, you had a point about the the voice that you wanted. To yeah. Talk about. yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that for me was was. I mean, it definitely connects to what Louise is saying because it meant that I wasn't quite sure if I could visualize, particularly the main female character, and you know, part of it is that um, I couldn't quite tell when the story was being told, if that makes sense, because at times there's such a huge temporal distance, so it feels like the narrator is really remembering this from far away. And then there's other moments where we're supposed to be in scene, but we're sort of being pulled out of the time. Um, so that meant that I wasn't quite sure, you know, how close or how far away, you know, we needed to be to the, to the actual narrator. And I think part of that is the kind of very formal language that's being used by the narrator. So that yeah, the sort of like I answered negatory kind of thing. Mm. It, it felt very um, like just too authorial mm. to me rather than this character who I think I was supposed to think she was a young girl, but because of that really formal and like distancing language, at times it felt like they were much older remembering like a younger self. And so I just wasn't sure. And within the scene themselves, they didn't feel quite, they didn't really feel young if that makes sense so I didn't really at times get that generational gap between them just because some of that language felt like it sort of collapsed the two generations together mm. I also think that you know when you when you utilize a lot of references like we've got a very we've got a reference right up top to singing in the rain and then we've got Yates further on um there's a line around the Yates part actually where um, it's it's a memory about the narrator's grandfather, you know, saying this little poem and whatever, and and then they remark, it's Yeats, and I remember it now, remembering the entertainer. So that definitely confused me about, like, where is the story being? Are you remembering the entertainer or are we in scene with the, with the entertainer? And also, if you're going to utilise references like that, I think be very careful how often you do it and how much you do it, because right up top, 
I kind of wanted to know more just, you know, why are we on our way to Brighton? What's going on with this setting that, you know, we're, we're following along rather than giving us singing in the rain. And then I have to try and figure out how singing in the rain connects to what we're doing mm. in the story. And I couldn't make that connection. Um, so I think this is kind of like there's, there's, there's multi-layered issues there with choosing this kind of very observational and slightly detached and authorial narrator. Um, it just, I, I think at times it just lost me a little bit. Like I then, we get sort of these like dumps of backstory, really solid, like on page four, there's a really big one um, where they just suddenly are like, oh, my own grandfather had the same nature as the entertainer. And so then we get quite a solid paragraph about like intergenerational chat. So it's just like this not sort of feeding those things in, using references to sort of do your character for you. I think those are challenging and it would be better to simply give us more of the narrator's interiority, I think, mm. than these sort of very explanatory paragraphs or indeed using a reference to do the character work. I think is that the perfect line for that is on page two, isn't it? I never cringe more than when comedy of yesteryear comes out in this intergenerational chat for it doesn't age well. Yes. Uh, who, wh why? <laughs> not many people why? speak like not that. Many not many young like people that. speak like that. So uh, the thing is, I don't have a problem if the character is going to speak like that. I don't have a problem with that. But what I need is, is the reason why the character speaks like that. I need them, right. I need you to show me that the character is a smart ass or I need <laughs> you to show me that the character thinks, you know, is arrogant and thinks really highly of themselves first. But, mm. and, and they talk like this because, you know, they're hiding something from the world. They Yes, mm. there is a line on that front. Um, I can't remember where it was, but it was giddiness from when I was younger. So when they laugh and they say, oh, yes, it was a giddiness from when I was younger. That felt really in line with what you're just saying there, Peter, to me, because it was kind of like, wait, so do they not laugh anymore? Mm. Like, what's the, what do you mean giddiness from when you were younger? Like, do you have a problem with laughing at things? It just left me with more questions, basically, because I couldn't piece together, like, what does this like what's going on there? <laughs> is it, I don't know. It's just because it's such a strange thing to say giddiness from when I was younger, when you're just laughing at a joke. Yeah, and it, it, I guess it goes back to my point about the description. Again, with the voice, it's so contradictory because it's almost like the, the narrator is saying, I'm really young, but I talk like a 60 year old. But then you've got that, that paragraph, as you're saying on page four, where they say that their grandparents are the boomer generation. Right. Now, parents of the boomer generation. So I'm immediately going, well, this person must only be like in their 20s by that logic. But then but then the rest of it doesn't add up in the way that they talk that line about the goodness when I was younger. I mean, you know, how jaded can you be at 24? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, and the references are really old. Les Miserables, George Formby. Yes. Rain. You know, I mean, I, I was like, I don't, I don't know that those are my go-tos if I was in my twenties, and I'm not in my twenties, but I, I still wouldn't go with Les Mis as a, you know, would you not be talking about? Yeah, I mean, I had to look up the singing in the rain thing because <laughs> I didn't get that one personally. Uh. But again, it's that thing. If 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 there was a character, if there's description of the narrator in which the narrator sort of explains that they are a know-it-all or, or that they have that sort of you know, you, you've, I think you've all met those people before that sort of uh, project themselves into the world as the cleverest thing in the room. 
um, because that's what they need to do, then that's great. But we don't get that projection. We just get the sort of we yeah we don't get the sort of backstory that that explains that projection as it were. We just get mm. the projection, and therefore it just seems too authorial. It mm. just becomes authorial in the sense that we just think that the writer is trying to um, I don't know express their own cleverness as it were I, I think it would have made sense if they were more admiring of like these older things or something like that but mm. I, I don't know something gave me the sense of them being a bit put off by this older man and these sort of memories of the grandparents they're not I didn't get an overwhelmingly like warm or positive feeling towards that older generation if that makes sense whereas if they were like a young person who just like really admired I don't know old movies and old things and old ways of speaking that would have made more sense to me then that they have that kind of slightly formal way of talking maybe because they're trying to emulate that pastime mm. but I didn't quite get that sense mm. okay yeah um okay so just in conclusion I think that one is think one thing is the setup I think it's a great setup, really, really interesting, but what, what is there another way this piece can go? I think that's the interesting thing. Is there another way that this story could go um, where these two characters either have resolution, they have conflict, they stay in conflict, but somehow, you know, there's something we get from it. Description, it's probably a bit too purple prose at the moment and we need to rein it in massively. There's only one way I really liked was when, when the old man falls, he falls like a class, a, class, a science class skeleton. I thought that was really good. I thought that was a really clear, obvious thing of a science class skeleton collapsing to the ground, all bones. That's great, perfect. None of the other stuff. Um, and the narrator voice, let's have some, give us the narrator. Let us sympathize with her. Let us know who she is. Why was she going to Brighton? Where had she come from? I think that's all we need. And then, we've, then there's a human connection there a bit more. Right, cool. Does anybody else have any points they'd like to make? No. no, I'm getting shaking heads and no's. So we'll wrap it up there. Thanks very much, guys. Let's stop. Let's uh, let's stop now. Right. To wrap up the show, as we always do, we're going to go quick talking about uh, the books we're reading at the moment and why it's great or why it's terrible and uh, any promos we have. So uh, let's start with Louise. What book are you reading at the moment, please? So I've just finished the new George Saunders Ooh. book, which is called, if I can remember the title, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. Yes. The title. Yeah. So, uh, which is very relevant to this podcast because obviously it's all about writing short stories. So if you are not lucky enough to be able to get onto George's course at Syracuse University, which I think he says they take like six people a year out of hundreds of applicants. So there's no way I would have gotten it. <laughs> oh, did you apply, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I was really going, well, I'm glad I didn't apply because there would have been no point. Yeah. Um, so one of the classes he teaches is looking at the Russians and the sh Russian short stories and sort of analysing them. So very similar to when we were at Birkbeck doing our, our master's. The first term is about reading short stories and um, sort of talking about the structure and um yeah how they all what them how they create the magic basically mm -hmm. so he sort of goes through sort of Chekhov and Tolstoy and others in there um yeah it's just really fascinating to go back to that sort of close reading and um analyzing a story you know in that sort of detail cool mm. 
Oh yeah, I definitely want to read that. It's on my Kindle at the moment and I need to um yeah, actually read it. Sorry, I have a Kindle. I know it's bad. I know, <laughs> I know, but I can't, there's no bookshops open and I don't want to shop at Sainsbury's, so I can't I can't get it anywhere. Uh Christina, what are you reading at the moment? Um, I just finished reading uh, Mary Gatskill, This is Pleasure, um, which is very short and sharp. I read it in like an hour or whatever, and um it's it's great. I mean, actually, I think the author that we critique today should probably have a look at that because it deals with kind of a controversial subject matter, uh, you know, an older male boss being accused um, of wrongdoing, but it's told between two characters and you have a lot of empathy for both of them, weirdly enough. And I think they execute that really, really well. Like Mary Gaskell executes that, you know, um, seamlessly. So it's a very good take on how to deal with a difficult subject matter or a difference in generation and opinion between characters um, in a way that still leaves us really resonating strongly with all of the characters involved. So yeah, highly recommend that. That sounds great. I am currently reading uh, The Book of Collie. Collie? 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 By M.R. Carey. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sci-fi dystopian thing. Um, I just, I really wanted to read a good sci-fi dystopian one and people were kept on re recommending this and I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And it is really good. It's about a, uh, this, this village that has these massive high walls and the forest outside is basically just trying to kill them. The forest is like, you know, the, the, they have to burn everything that grows because it will try and kill them. Um, so it's very, very interesting. And I'm really, I, I was, I was got into it and there's a, there's an interesting voice. It's got, um, a voice like uh what's the book by about to be a film starring spider-man and uh, what <laughs> <laughs> the news uh pause here what's it called letting go the knife never letting go see i knew spider-man uh life letting go so it's got a very similar voice to that in this sort of you know that sort of weird um writing style but uh, I'm loving it. It's really, really interesting and it's full of detail. And I love this concept of like that nature is now just literally trying to kill all the humans. It's like, it's like it's out for blood, literally out for blood and is trying to hurt them. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And I'm very interested. It's, it's the first of a trilogy as well. So oh, that sounds good. It does sound good. Yeah, it is good. It's really well written. Hundred, yeah, really well. So I highly recommend that. Right. Okay. Well, it was fantastic to do this again. And thank you for doing this. And we'll try and do more probably maybe once a month, maybe once every two months, when we have time. We're very busy people. Mm. Um, are, we... are we still taking submissions? Yes, I will get the submissions going again and you can submit by going to mirroronline.org slash author not present and you can submit there if you want to be your short story to be critiqued in a loving and caring manner as we do, right? That's what we're doing. Right. I hope people aren't offended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cool, right, we'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye. Bye.